Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire. Jeff, could you maybe laugh just a little bit less? Come on, man. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Angus Nelson, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going? Hi back. Hi back. <laughs> That's what you said. You said I'll say hi, you say hi back. So That's I'm perfect. Hi back. Hi back. Hi back. <laughs> perfect. I love it. I, you did what you're told. It's very compliant. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. Oh, I wish my wife found it that easy. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about what you've got going on now. You're a speaker and a coach, and um, and you're talking to like big companies. So yeah. that's pretty cool. And we we can all find out more about that at haha angusnelson.com, which is very convenient for everybody involved. So you're doing a lot of fun stuff now, right? And we'll get into that as we talk more. Um, but let's go back in time and talk about Little Angus back in Wisconsin. What was what was life like for you in your younger years? Um, so I grew up uh, as an identical twin, a mother from New Zealand and a father from South Texas. And I grew up in central Wisconsin, so I had quite the dichotomy of, of life perspective. Um, I basically had, you know, I would say maybe an above median, you know, social, economic, whatever. Okay. Um, my dad um, had done really well in business uh, when I was younger. And then as we got older um, into high school, um, he had made different decisions with his life and had actually come to faith. And that became a higher uh, perspective or higher priority in his life than the country club. Okay. And well, it's nice. really interesting because our family kind of um, followed along that path um, to a, a place where the things when we grew up was about house, it was about our big boat, it was about, mm. like I said, the country club, you know, yeah, yeah. we had all that stuff. And then um, later on, it was more about generosity, and it mm. was about giving, and it was about seeing the world and, and doing good. Now, and wait so a minute I, now. How, right? Was there a precipitating event for this? Because that's kind of a... I'd say 360, but it's actually 180. <laughs> that is yeah, right, like <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. That's a 180. Uh, uh, how did what do you, were you old enough to understand what made him make that sort of veer? Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> I mean, it was odd um, because you know, for us, it wasn't something that we were really familiar with. Um, like, you know, we didn't go to church growing up and stuff like that. And you know, you know, growing up there, like everybody's Lutheran and Catholic, right? Um, we weren't any of those either. So, like, all of my friends did all the catechism and all the... Yeah, you know, yeah, I did that. Tr traditional stuff. There right. you go. Yeah. Right? I, I had nothing to do with that. Like, the only time I ever stepped foot in a church was, like, yeah. somebody's kid was getting baptized or it was Easter once in a while maybe we would go. Right. 
Um, but very traditional, nothing, you know, whatever. And then I was about 14, 15 years old and some painters were taking care of my dad's, uh, under eaves of the house. And some way, somehow they started this relationship and, and led to him, you know, pursuing the faith and pursuing God in a, in a way that we had never done before. And he was about probably 40 some odd years. So I'm sure there was like a, so he was midlife crisising. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, he's trying to examine all that and what's the purpose and what's it for. And it's really interesting because as we're you really, well, yeah, you know, I was in hockey, um, as we were staying, you know, before Mm -hmm. and my dad and my mom were that couple and I'll explain what I mean. No matter what we did on the ice, good or bad or indifferent, those were the vocal cords I heard out of the stands was my parents. <laughs> okay. Right? right. And so they coached us from the stands, and it didn't matter if I did well. When I came off the ice, they found something to poke holes in. And so I grew up under a lot of scrutiny and a lot of pressure from my parents to mm. perform in, in, in sports and stuff like that. And when my dad started to make this transition, one, I can remember distinctly coming off the ice and we were walking into the concession stand area. My dad put his arm around me and he said, you did a great job out there. I'm really proud of you. And I slowly turned my head up looking at him saying, who is this man? <laughs> you know, because I'd yeah. always bristled and braced myself for right, sarcasm right. or criticism or, you know, something jaded. Yeah. And so I was able to kind of watch my family, my parents change and watch their priorities change and watch kind of a transformation in their own lives. And it was really, you know, I mean, looking back at it, it was really amazing um, to be able to watch that. And then later, uh, about two years later, my my twin brother and I kind of followed suit. Um, And I went from dancing in the clubs, I was competing for money and and stuff when hip hop was just kind of coming about. And, um, and now all of a sudden I'm like, you know what, I'm going to make other pursuits myself. And so it wasn't so much about girls and dancing and money. It was like, you know, doing good and serving people. And, and it was just a really crazy time to get to a place where I started to discover that some of my natural insights for people and my natural gifts, talents, and skills were preparing me for something that life was preparing for me. Okay. And you and I were talking about some of the woo-woo spiritual, you know, yeah. like all this stuff, like gurus. Flash forward from that point on to my 30s, like I had the perfect pedigree. Right. I went to Bible school. I got a degree in youth ministry. I left that, went into doing some missions work. I was traveling around the, the globe. My, my mom, when I was growing up, being from New Zealand, always said, grab your backpack and go. So when I got to school, that just made sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I got into um, my 30s, and I, I'd started a nonprofit organization, and I was running into difficulty for a number of different reasons because um, I became a workaholic, A. I got married in that time, B. And mm. when you combine those two, it's not really good. Mm. Um, in addition, we're a nonprofit, which is highly competitive space in a small city. And in addition, 9-11 hit. So our finances were drying up. We made some bad business decisions, which got us even more further in the hole debt-wise. Right. And so then I decided, well, I'm just going to work harder. Yeah. And the more I worked, the more I sought to cope. And my coping mechanisms of choice were um, 
uh, pornography and alcohol. And hey, I know those guys. <laughs> the oh, they're really going to do you some favors. Yeah, and when you we could talk a two, lot about those guys. Right? And then you combine the two, and then now you've got promiscuity. When you're married, your spouse typically frowns upon that. Right. And so then I end up in divorce. So I share those two kind of stories with you to show, like, where does somebody end up when they had this pedigree and this, you know, value set, and now all of a sudden everything that they knew to be true is completely waxed, you know, kitty wumpus. Mm, yeah, that's, that's the definition of a vroom veer situation, what you just laid I, out there, right? <laughs> uh, so that was good. That was good. So you were, that whole thing about where you were working too hard and coping, that would be the vroom mm-hmm. part. And then the 9-11 working too hard divorce, that's the, the crash burn veer thing. Mm-hmm. I say that just because I love paradox dichotomy, just like you do. Yeah. So I, I need to point these things out. Um. So, but yeah, great story. So... Um, let's dive in a little bit about what that, what that was like, um, if you don't mind, in the, in the area of the divorce. How, how ugly was it? Was it like seriously messy and um, like the Hollywood version? No, no. Fortunately, it wasn't. Um, a lot of my messiness was internalized. Um, I mean, A, we didn't have any children, so thank goodness for that. Mm. B, we'd only been married for two years. Mm. And, and part of the reason why we were married was because of the coping. I was, um, I, she was a pretty face in a moment of my need, mm. and our dysfunctions attracted each other. And within two months of our relationship, I knew this wasn't good, and we were already suffering. Wow. Um, but... Because of my value set, we're going to work harder. Mm. We're going to make this work. We're going to prove we can make it happen. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, so all of that, those layers. Um, so for me, the mess was in my head and in my heart. And I was wrestling with these inner demons of looking in a mirror and not liking what I saw. Mm. Oh, yeah. We've all been. And that place of self-hate um, and later I went on and studied some psychology and, and counseling and recognized that that pain, I was starting to attract more pain. And that's what we do. We, we, that's we true. I know I agree with that because there's right? psychological. Now that kind of rides the border between. So just so everybody knows, we had this sort of like, uh, I had this anti woo woo rant a little bit, just a small one yeah, yeah. <laughs> on yeah. our pre-show chat. So Angus is like, really? Oh, let's talk about that. And I'm like, yeah. So this psychology (laughs) thing that you're saying about how whatever it is that you're thinking about, you subconsciously attract, there is psychological scientific basis to that just because of, you know, we've got all these built-in biases that we we find like new ones every day. So that's now, see, now what I, I can explain a little bit more is that you know, before when you just watch the movie The Secret or you read books or you, you know, you think it's all magic, right? Uh, hey. You know, but it's actually the more magic is around and you start studying it and looking at it, there are some objective truths that you can measure in there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, I, I still believe that, that um, your overall, um, your, your, your self-talk mm-hmm. is is signaling and programming your subconscious. And then you're going to see that more in the world. Is that what you're trying to get at? Absolutely. Right. And so, so there's so many layers. I mean, I know. depending on how deep we want to go. <laughs> right, right. Um, 
to keep it as simple as possible, I can say that our experiences and our environments create some programming in our own mind where we we have synopses like a like a highway of yeah of cause and effect. And because of things that have happened, it makes us feel a certain way. So now when anything or anyone touches something close to that, like a bruise, as mm. soon as they hit that, your brain will fire through that highway and go back to that place right. of pain. Right. Even yes. if it was like you were four years old, even if you were seven years old, even if, you know, whatever. And so those kind of things are, are put you on track. And what we don't realize is that we continue to perpetuate that same chaos because that chaos makes us comfortable because at least then we know what to expect. Right. <laughs> Isn't that weird? <laughs> it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It, I mean, the more ridiculous. you understand, you're like, oh you're my like, God. You're right. Like, you're right. Yeah. And so I will subconsciously create the same perpetual scenarios in my life over and over. So you date the right. same person yes. with a different face. Mm-hmm. And you get into like, the same trouble all the time yeah. just because you're trying to feel good. Yep. You know, that's the coping part. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I had to I had to get to a point where I had to like reformulate all of that chaos. And so I took very intentional and and gut-wrenching steps after that series of events. So from 2003 to 2005, um I was divorced in 2003. 2005, um I decided to just say, screw this. I put my house in the market. I moved to Huntsville, Alabama. And there was a guy that had been written, writing a bunch of books. And one of them was called Becoming the Person You Want to Be. And it, was, it had a faith-based element to it. But the, the, the substance of it is this. We work so hard to become something we already are. And so True. we base our entire life on trying to perform, trying to strive, trying to earn merit, favor, value, etc., beauty, you name it. Right. And we won't just accept the fact that where I'm at today in this present is valuable, is beautiful, is powerful. Right. And, and oh my gosh, like that like rocked my world. And so I said, I'm going to go sit under this guy for a year. And he had this class, this, this school or whatever, and he doesn't have it anymore. But um, I was in the middle of that program and I met this other woman. And I thought, well, maybe I'll stick around and hang around. So I, I pulled what I called the George Costanza. Okay. <laughs> there, was, there was one episode in, in Seinfeld where Costanza did like the opposite. Uh, the, the exact opposite. Remember, right? <laughs> I do right? remember that. Yes. So, of course, he jacked it all up in the end as he always does. But for me and my, my now wife was me like feeling those, as we were staying before, those – highways of response mechanisms when she would say something like uh, when she would ask me a very direct question i would be defensive because mm, yeah, i feel yeah. interrogated i feel threatened i feel like why do you want to know this and i would you know make these judgments and for her this is just how she learned she asks questions mm, right. and so i had to do the opposite so instead of me getting all retreating and and defensive i leaned into it instead and i said in my head she actually cares. She's asking these questions because she might like me. She's asking these questions because she's actually interested in me. Well, that made it easier for me to respond. And then as our relationship grew, we got more and more um, 
in depth of our. Uh, she had a practice marriage. I had a practice marriage. Um, <laughs> she, she had a child from her practice marriage at the time it was about nine or ten. Yeah. Um, and now she's twenty one. And now you wouldn't know the difference. Now I'm daddy. There's right. No about that. Um, but in our, the beginnings of our relationship, like both of us became very intentional that when we had those strange nuances, strange desires for coping, strange whatever, like we would just have really open and candid and powerful dialogue. And it wasn't always fun. It sometimes kept us up till two in the morning or more. Mm-hmm. Um, but holy hell, like oh, our you relationship- find those when you have those those moments, those like real soul searing sort of conversations with somebody. Yep. They're powerful. Yep. Yeah. 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 Been there. And and then during the <laughs> all this process, we're more vroom vroom veers. And I like to think of my life from from back when to to now was like kind of like a uh, 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 gear shifts. Sure. Like and in, in the just to use your analogy of room, uh, <laughs> right? It's like each one, and you have to downshift. The car pauses and sinks back, mm-hmm. and then you go to another gear and it speeds up. Right? Right. In that same metaphor, many times we see the challenges in life as destructive or denial mm-hmm. or disqualified. Every time I run up against a wall, my mind will say, "See, see." You didn't deserve it. See, right. you're valuable. See, they don't care about it. See, and we take right. those same negative beliefs and then we validate ourselves according to the belief. And the reality is most of the time we've created those walls for ourselves because in our heart of hearts, we already see we cannot be successful. And wow. so when people say, I have a fear of fear or excuse me, you know, I have a fear um, – it's the the fear of failure, right? It's I push actually, back and I say it's the fear of success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you don't think you can become the person you think you need to become in order to accomplish what you think you're supposed to accomplish. And if you reverse that mindset and say, "I already am," I am being who that person is. You'll be amazed at how much confidence, radiance, joy, presence you will bring into any situation. People will want to be around you. People will enjoy being around you. People will open up opportunities to you they otherwise would have never opened up to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's easy to be uh, depressed and sad when you sit around in your house, right? You got to get out. Right? (laughs) Right? And you know, what I found was... When I ran up against these walls, I would start asking myself questions. Good. Okay, so how did I get here? And what is it in my thinking that is allowing me to settle here? Because I want to change that. And then I have on my mirror, I would have um, those dry erase markers in oh, different nice. colors. And I would write. Those ask, work on mirrors, huh? Okay, good to, good to know. Good tip. <laughs> so every morning, every night, you brush your teeth. Hopefully you brush your teeth. I and do. you wash your face or whatever. Like you look in that mirror and in that mirror, I would have these affirmations. Or I, if I would had some negative self-talk, I would say the opposite. And I would say it in first person active tense because it exists today and it's about Angus. Angus is. Angus can. Not Angus will. Not Angus uh, someday. Right. Yes. Yeah. I get you. That's the NLP version, you know, put it in present tense and first person. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Logical, what is it? Neurologic, linguistic. Programming. Programming. Yep. 
Sorry. <laughs> uh, okay. we, we've all we've all been gurued too much, so you drop the bomb every once in a while, right? That's the NLP stuff. Yeah. yeah. Neuro linguistic programming. Yeah, but yeah, I'm down. They they've got a new word for that. Uh, my buddy Steve Pavlina of stevepavlina.com, he was on the show too. He calls that priming. Uh, mm. yeah. And that's just sort of like these these little notes that he drops himself about who he wants to be. kind of like what you're talking about. Yeah, I love that so, stuff. So, yeah, that's and, good. And that's the little nuance there too is who I want to be. Mm. Is all of this is based in paradox, right? And that's you're that's already you. Started. You can't be any other any other person, right? Right. So <laughs> in my mind, I see that what I'm trying to become is off in the distance, but I can bring that existence into now to say I already am that. And what happens is I draw that stuff from out there into here. Yeah. Now. Right. It's almost like you're reminding yourself who you already are. Yeah. Right. And, and, and you walk <laughs> like it. So I like you that. Talk like so. And, and some people call it fake it till you make it or whatever. And I say, you know, yes and no. But, you know, here's the paradox. is like if I want to have friends, I first have to be friendly. Yes. If I want to, um, to gain something, I first have to give something. Oh, yeah. Uh, like if you took your hands and put them in front of you, and I, this is my, one of my favorite analogies, and you clinch your hands together as if you're holding a bar or you're holding a pencil, you're holding something in your fingers. Mm-hmm. And so, Jeff, if, if I say, hey, I've got something I want to give you, what do you have to do with one or both your hands? Open it. So you have to let go of something you've been holding in order to attain or to grasp something you are not. That's true. And so you we have don't to let go to get, right? Right? Yeah. We don't know what we don't know. It's true. So what happens is we possess all these truths and realities of our lives and we accept that as gospel and this is fact and this just is what it is. But it's not. It's just what you've accepted to be your own reality. You've given it permission to cause you pain. You've given it permission to build your chaos. You've given it permission to withhold you from other better good things. You're right. And until you let go of that BS, let go of those limiting beliefs and take on a new mindset, you'll never accomplish the incredible, fulfilling, sustaining things that are possible already residing within you. So when we watch this movie, Wizard of Oz, and (laughs) she clicks her heels together and she says, there's no place like home. There is a deep-seated, soul-centered reality to the fact that home is already in her. Mm-hmm. So, Dorothy, we are compelled to that story because it becomes a metaphor. Oh, that, that whole story is full of metaphors. But, yeah, sorry. To entire life. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. I know. The old uh, everything you need is already inside you metaphor. <laughs> hey, yeah. So, we're, we got all sorts of cliches coming. Right? We did. We did. It's, it's amazing. Yay. So, let's get back to the, uh, the amazing... Uh, Angus Nelson origin story. Sure. So what what happens after you pick yourself up? Now you're two years divorced. You meet the new to-be wife mm-hmm. and continue. So let's start <laughs> gear shifting, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So from that, um, I decide to stay, and I don't have a job. Um, so I, I ask a friend of mine... Uh, do you know anything? He's got a friend that's doing landscaping. I've moved from Wisconsin right. to Alabama. Alabama, right. It's summertime. 
and they it's want me to do there. landscaping. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Like you don't want to do that. I'm doing it for maybe I don't even think I made it 14 days. I don't think I made it two weeks. And I'm I'm in I'm a heat rash. I've got you know exhaustion. Like the whole like it's too hot. And so I'd gone in during that time to go get new insurance for my car because now I'm going to reside here. And this lady says, you know, about my story. Say, hey, do you know this guy? He's got this nonprofit. You ran a nonprofit. You guys should talk. She had this guy call me. And he said, hey, do you, you want to come help me? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I immediately transitioned over to working with this other nonprofit. And then we ran that from uh, 06 into I, – I eventually became the executive director. And in 09 was another financial crunch uh, in the economy. Right, and so right. we ran out of money. So I chose this time to close the doors because it was the right thing to do. Whereas before, I didn't have a choice that – was forced upon me. Mm. So I was, I was able to address that from a different, different place. Mm-hmm. My wife challenged me to write, I had already been messing around with these um, chapters from a book I was thinking about. And All my right. wife challenged me. Um, we just had our firstborn together, so our second child in total. And she said, why don't you stay home with the baby and finish your book? This book was me telling the tale of that period of life that we just covered. Wow. From me going through all of my destructive workaholism to divorce to pain to um, kind of a spiritual schizophrenia, et cetera. And so I stayed home with the baby. Four months later, we were pregnant with another one that's on the way. So now I had all sorts of uh, ambition to finish my book mm. because I've got another kid I'm going to be having to watch. And so we went to go launch it um, a friend of mine asked me to come to a writer's conference out in Santa Cruz, California. Uh, he said, I'll pay your way. I said, okay. Wow, nice. <laughs> right? Right? And I ended up winning um, this thing um, that I didn't even enter. I don't even know why I got chosen, but it was Most Promising New Writer 2010. And, and that's for that, Love's Compass, right? That's for Love's Compass, yeah. So there were a bunch of like prestigious authors there from the faith-based sectors, and they loved the rawness of my book. Um, and I got offers from a couple different literary agents, one of those which um, represents one of my favorite authors, Donald Miller. Um, so when she approached me, I said, yes, ma'am, I'm absolutely, let's do it. So we pitched our book to seven of the top publishers, and they said, it's too raw, it's too narrative, and you're not famous. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> You know, that's I'm the famous, typical, the that's the count, typical right? answer from the publishing world, right? Right, right. Yes, yes. Because right. They, you mean we, this is this is different and new and fresh? No, you can't do that. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so and and you know then they're out to make money and they're they were suffering. It's 2010, so you know I, I get it. Um, and here's where the things kind of change because it's like my hopes got up. I won this award. Um, I'm going to the publishers. Yes, I'm excited. I've got this literary agent. Yes, yes, yes. And then declined from all of them, and now I'm down again. Well, mm. that sucked. Right. So what's my next move? Well, I'll try to market it myself. I'll self-publish. So I self-publish. Um, honestly, now looking back at it, I'm not, my, the title wasn't my favorite. The cover's not my favorite. Um, I could have done it so much better, but I just didn't know. You didn't know what you didn't know. Right, we're and, all we're all there, but you know what? You did it, so that's good. Right, you don't and, you don't learn unless you go ahead and you know make the mistake. 
Oh gosh, it's <laughs> so true, so true. And so I started doing social business marketing. Like, excuse me, I started with just doing social media. Okay. And trying to hustle my book. And in the process, I also started writing for, um, I started my own daddy blog and started hanging out with other daddy bloggers. And there were a couple of conferences and I went to them and I met some of the influencers from the business space that happened to be fathers that also blogged. So now um, some of these guys work in the corporate space, which my, as we started this story, my identical twin brother was the director of social for a company called Salesforce, a very large I've company. heard of Salesforce, yeah. yeah. Right? So my brother's like, how do you know so-and-so and such-and-such? You know, he'd see these pictures and like, well, because of daddy blog. He's like, what the heck? <laughs> what the hell's a daddy blog? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so then I started learning about the space and what it all took. And so I just kind of fell in love with it and telling stories and, and being able to reach out and connect with people. So then I started consulting for a couple different uh, organizations, and then I was doing the state of Alabama, some of the tourism. Like, I haven't gone to school for this stuff. Like, I'm just learning as I go. I'm just listening to podcasts. I'm reading books. I'm going to websites and reading blogs. You're and making shit up, essentially. I am, right? <laughs> and Which is great. As such, um, I show up in Austin, Texas during South by Southwest, and my twin brother is there. He's got the fat expense account from his company. I say, I'm staying with you at the W downtown. Absolutely. During the day, I'm going to my daddy blogging stuff. And in the evenings, my brother's taking me like his little side show trick to all the the tech parties. He would throw me in front of these influencers and have me pretend to be him. (laughs) And then he'd walk up behind them and they'd be like, what the what? You know, and that's great. I love like, that. I meet, like like everything from Gary Vaynerchuk to Chris Brogan to I mean uh, anyone that that knows tech like some big names. I yeah, met a right. bunch. Of them. And one of those in particular was a guy who 3 years later I started a company with him called Crowd Companies and that's where I work today. Oh wow. That's awesome. So let me kind of fill in the gaps there real quick. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. From that meeting I still tried to get a job. So I changed all my uh, LinkedIn accounts and my Facebook and everything to say San Francisco. I was using my brother's mailing address. I got onto Google Voice and I got a, a number with a 415 uh, area code for, for um, San Francisco. So anyone who didn't know, if you looked at all my social stuff, you thought I lived in San Francisco. And so trick. I'm, I'm hustling, right? Yeah. And one day I get a call from a company out in San Francisco and they say, hey, why don't you come on Wednesday? We'd love to chat with you. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> oh, crap. I have to be in San Francisco on Wednesday. <laughs> Honey, <laughs> I need my plane ticket. I need uh, a plane ticket now. And, of course, the good side is I can just stay at my brother's. But I still had to buy you know, a $500 plane ticket. So I zip out there and – um, in the process, the guy I work with today, Jeremiah is his name. So I ping Jeremiah, say, hey, I'm around. He said, why don't you come on down to Palo Alto? I'll give you the tech tour. And so we jump in his car, and he's showing me, you know, here's the street where Waz and Jobs, you know, came up with Apple. Oh, uh, wow. That sounds this. like fun. And, and I said, he said, when we first got off the train, he said, you know, you need anything. I said, I really got to use the restroom. So I said, I got gotcha. you. We went a couple blocks. We get out. We walk into this German pub. I do my thing. I come out. I've just washed my hands. I'm kind of rubbing my hands together. And he's standing with his, his legs kind of like shoulder width apart and his hands on his hips in this pose. And I'm like, what? And he's like, you know where we are right now? And I'm like, 
the German pub. And he said, do you remember that iPhone 3GS that just mistakenly, and he used air quotes, mistakenly end up in the hands of a TechCrunch writer? I'm like, yeah, I remember that. And he goes, right here. I'm like, <laughs> away. <laughs> like, you know, this was our tech geekery, you know? Right, and so, right, right. And Hill Road with all the VCs, and this is da da da. And we ended up spending the, the rest of the night at some uh, seedy little pub in Palo Alto talking about human psychology and whatever. Mm. So a year later, again, I'm still trying to get a job. In this process, my wife is working for a university mm-hmm. that started off as a, a junior college um, that was uh, about 8,000 students. This, the school has bloomed up to about 15,000 students. She had two superiors that have left, and they gave her their responsibilities. She got no more budget. She didn't get a raise. She didn't get a, ch- a, a title change. Mm. All the work and none, none of the good stuff. Lovely, yeah. lovely. And now she's exhausted mm. and she, <laughs> you know, is physically coming home like a zombie. Yeah. In, in addition, I've every done that. she's getting in the car crying because she's got two babies who are waving at her out the window mm. and she wants to be home with them. Yeah. As the man, as the, the man of the house, like I'm dying. Like, why can't I make enough money that she can be home with the kids? Why am I... You know, not able to find a job. Why right. am I? Why is this not working? You know, the way my expected outcome was supposed to be, and so I'm like going through all sorts of emotional stuff. Plus, I also went through the the aspect of being a stay at home dad. I go to play dates. I'm like the only male in the room. You know, <laughs> want to talk with me because I think I'm either you know hitting on him or a perv. That's right. And, that's right. You were Mister Mom. Right. You yeah. know. Yeah. Ten to twenty, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you like that. Um, it, it came to my my mind at the same time, so that's pretty creepy. So it's you know, I was going through all these different psychological things at the same time. Pain. Yeah, that does hurt because dudes like really, really, you know, we're trained by society to live up to this um, provider role, yep. right? Yeah. And and by the end of it, I loved it. I love being home with my kids, and I'm far oh, that's more great. Yeah. present and intentional with my children than had I not had that opportunity. I mean, I I definitely have a connection with them that many dads I don't, you know, I, I don't think they have quite the opportunity uh, as you, you do when you're. Still feel bad though about you know you have yeah. to go through that pain of yeah whatever that is is just like that that need to want to be able to provide you know mm-hmm. it's like mammalian or something. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and so let me just kind of bring it in for a landing. So, sure. So he, uh, my brother pings me and says, hey, Jeremiah's working on something. You should see if he needs any help. So I ping him, and we start talking, and we ended up working something out that I would just kind of work on kind of a contract basis. Um, there's no money really to be had um, as we're just starting out, but... Um, what we'd like to do is uh, start the company. It was about September, and um, my last contract had ended September 6th. My wife had gotten so sick and was in doctor's offices and everything that she had to quit September 1st. Wow. So Uh-oh. That's trouble. We got nothing. And so Jeremiah and I are talking, and he said, well, we're going to launch the company December 10th. Um, I just need you to hang on until then and, and just you know help me do this. I'm like, sure. And... So I went to work waiting tables while we were building this startup. Oh, wow. So 
every night I'm going off, you know, I'm 42 years of age. And now I'm not dumb. I went to a steakhouse because I knew, you know, the, <laughs> Better the, bigger the, ticket, the bigger the tips, you know. <laughs> Good um, idea. And we ate well, you know, so we've got no money coming in. We're living off just the last little bits of our savings. Yeah. And wow. I'm bringing home lobster bisque and, you know, fresh baked bread every night trying to, you know, survive. <laughs> and stretch and, it as long as you can. And um, so by December 6th, I'd had enough because my boss ran the restaurant like an eighth grade football team. His, his idea of motivation was shame and fear. Mm. And I just laugh. And I would always, I always kept a great attitude because to me it was temporary. I was just having a good time. I love people. Mm. And every time he'd try and critique me, I'd say, thanks so much for this coaching moment. I really appreciate it, which I'm sure he thought was absolutely sarcastic. Oh, yeah. Um, but oh, I just yeah. wasn't going to let him get the best of me. Right. But December 6th, I'd had enough. Um, I knew we were about to launch, so I kind of calculated the numbers. I think, I think we can make it. Let's just, you know, let's, we've gambled everything. Let's, let's just pull chucks. Right? Get out of here. Yeah. yeah. And so now here comes a little bit of a veer. I dropped the job. We are working with large brands. We're talking, you know, Fortune, at this time, Fortune 500 company brands. They're on 60, 90 day nets. And we've signed some contracts. December 10th was our launch date. We wanted 10 companies we figured would be enough to get us going. Okay. We launched with 24. That's good. I went from. December 6th, quitting my job, the first check came December 20, it was either the 21st or the 23rd, like right before Christmas, and they never stopped. Wow. It was... That's the one, Walmart and the Whole Foods and all those guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the craziest times, and this is the life of startup, like you just don't know if things are going to flop or if they're going to take off. And I went from that to... In January, I flew out to San Francisco. I sat in a room with all of these executives, intimidated as hell. I don't work in this space. I didn't go to the schools these people went to. I don't. I'm make a the daddy money. blogger, right? <laughs> right? Right? Like I don't. I was so, just in my jammies two months ago, or whatever. <laughs> this is this is those limiting beliefs, those yeah. those cranial crabs, as my dad likes to call them. I love it. And uh, two months later, I'm flying out to Arkansas. And my colleague says, okay, I want you to get, this is like 20 minutes before we're getting up. And he said, I want you to say something about this, this, and this, uh, go. And I'm at Walmart headquarters and I got to speak. And I was so nervous. I'm sure I oversold stuff. I was so overzealous because I was nervous as hell. And it was in that moment over those next series of weeks that I just, here's one of the things, when, when the student is ready, the teacher appears as, as a cliche goes. Yes. And I had different books, different stuff I stumbled over on the, on the internet, or different people I ran into. And it was like they fed me the very thing I needed in that moment. So I run into this one guy, and I was like, That's yeah. very Buddhist. Yes. <laughs> right? We're just right. going to pull things from all, all sorts. Oh, yes, yes. And, um, and so this guy says, when you see yourself as intimidated or not belonging, you know, you're having that, that moment of, of inferiority, he said, understand this. If you have an invitation to the party, you deserve to be at the party. It's true. So all of a sudden, my mindset went to, I deserve to be here. And now, all of a sudden, I'm getting more comfortable. And just a few months later, I'm doing another event. I've got C-suite people from 3M and some of these other big companies. And like I'm just doing it. 
And I've noticed every step, every echelon challenges you to, again, address those limiting beliefs. And if you don't take the first step to start, you'll never get to the next exploration and discovery of what you're capable of. Right. I see money very differently today than I did a couple years ago. I thought I could save my way into prosperity. No, that doesn't work. I'm going to clip coupons. I'm going to, you know, yeah. da, I'm going to. And yeah. now I've Thrifty's realized, good, but it only gets you so far. Right? Like, you know, thrifty is, is I, I think the best thing I've heard is, you know, being thrifty and savvy is good, but it, that, that doesn't generate wealth. Yes. It, all it does is maintain it. Yep. Um, so, and, and, which is important too, but you yep. still need to keep making money. You know, yeah. I'm do, doing the same thing too. You know, so I get it. I'm yeah. I'm somewhere in your story. I haven't figured out quite where I'm at, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll wrap this up here, and then you. Can, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so this thought of money is investing in people in, in your your mindset is as I've been interviewing some um, you know other thought leaders um, in my podcast. Right. What I've discovered is that two kind up of up in your business podcast. Up in your business podcast, building you to do business better. I like it. Um, these two premises seem to bubble up every time. One is always be a self-learner. Oh, for and sure. So my investment is in coaching. Like I'm involved in a thing for live video. I'm getting coaching on that. I'm getting coaching on. You must you be know. in like a couple of masterminds or at least yep. one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, those are huge, hugely huge um, uh, just for your well-being, your psychological yeah. well-being. Yeah. And so they challenge you, and, and then you get around people who can encourage you and cheerlead you. Like, I'm yeah. just positioning myself to be around the right people, the right affluence, as well as the right challenge. Um, and then the secondary p- piece that I've heard is, is um, these thought leaders that I've talked to is, one, being the self-learner, and then two, is, is developing really rich relationships, expanding your network. Right. So between those two things, like, I'm, in, I'm all in. I'm I'm putting it all in. So I I'm doing all of those things and then there's there's two things that are coming out of that. One is um I'm writing a book. A new book. Will, a new book. Um coming out uh April two thousand seventeen. So I sat down with the publishers, um, I pitched them, they love it. It's called the working title right now is Empowering Work. Um we're taking a look at um, the data that I'm witnessing in my day job of where people are at, how companies are hiring less and less because now with the on-demand gig economy or like I like to call it the gigification of, right. of jobs. Yes. Um, so much are cheaper. Gonna, for them, absolutely, yeah, right? right? And it actually becomes um, more opportunity for employees on the stage whether if they'll get to a place of specialization. Right. So if you can become great at your thing, whatever that is, you can demand you know, more money. In addition, in this contractual agreement, obviously it's short term, so you'll be able to work as much as you want because you can work two, three, four contracts at a time working mm. for different companies. Yeah. That's going to be its real challenge on the flip side for companies is now trying to protect their intellectual property. That becomes in jeopardy. Their HR department is now challenged from being talent acquisition to now talent management. Mm. They're going to have to develop other skills from the bureaucracy they've done for the last 60, 80, 100 years and turn to this emotional intelligence to develop great relationships with this new workforce. Right. Wow. So that's all changing from the 
community standpoint. Well, now we have to do brand management, reputation management. I have to see myself as my own company. I'm a free agency. I have to manage my own company. I have power to take my career wherever I want it, which is both an opportunity and a threat. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Welcome to Paradox. <laughs> yeah. And so this book is going to talk from this whole changing of work for the future and is going to be jam-packed with tools and resources to help people get the right mindset to prepare themselves from an emotional intelligence uh, arena to do both that, developing their network as well as be- maintaining being a self-learner. So you, you won't be able to rest on your laurels like you have in the years past. No, no. And you have to keep growing, too. This mm-hmm. has been a blast. Wow, you had like, I, you, you could be on like two or three shows. It's good that you have your own podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get to all the fun travel stuff that I wanted to talk about. But that's oh, okay. Uh, we, so you, when we took a year off and yeah, uh, yeah. every month we stayed at a VRBO or, or um, an uh, Airbnb. Air- all the way from San Diego to Aruba. Um, yeah. yeah. That's, like, and you did that for a whole year, right? For a year, yeah. So That sounds like a blast. It was, and it's also super stressful. It's I like, imagine. you know, <laughs> problems, right? On one hand, you have all this adventure and romance and stuff. Right. On the other hand, it's like, dear God, where do I get good Wi-Fi? I have a webinar in 20 minutes. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah. got two kids I got to pack up. How are we going to pack this stuff up right so we can get it into the car and da-da-da-da, like yeah, all yeah. that. Yeah. But here's something I have for you and your audience too. Sure. Um, in light of what we were just saying, is I have an ebook called Networking for Effectiveness and Credibility. Cool. And I want I'm just gonna make it available to you guys. I'll I'll just create a page for you guys like AngusNelson.com forward slash should we just do vroom vroom veer? All or one just word. veer? Or veer. I'll just do veer. Veer Angus is Nelson. easier. I'm writing it right down. I'm writing <laughs> So I'll make a page and you can just download it there and I wrote it for two reasons. One is the thing I was observing about expanding your network. And most people think networking, it feels schmoozy and slimy and everything. No, done right, it's amazing. So that's what I packaged is a step-by-step tutorial on how to do it right. And number two, specifically for people, there's 65% of Americans specifically say state that they are um, not extroverted, but rather introverted. So they think this is where they're disqualifying themselves because I'm introverted, I'm not good at connecting. And I would push back to say quite the opposite. Because you're introverted, you're even more skilled at connecting with people. Right. And you need to change that mindset. And this little ebook will give you those step by steps everything from how to shake someone's hands, how to look them in the eye, and how to value or offer value to other people. So it's not about you taking and getting. It's about you giving and serving. Mm, yeah, that's true. That's it. When you come, it's a completely different mindset about how, how can I help this person? When you just start asking that question, mm-hmm. the world just changes. I, yeah. I know it did for you, right? Yeah, it's yeah. been a hell of a ride. Yeah. This has been a hell of a show. Thank you, Angus <laughs> Nelson, right? Of yeah, AngusNelson.com. This is me closing up the show because you got to go. <laughs> this has been a blast. Let's do it again. Yeah, awesome. I really enjoyed it. Are you going to be over at um, Podcast Movement? I am not doing Podcast Movement this year. You know, I, I went to the very, very first one, um, and I enjoyed it, but I, it exhausted me. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I just got back from the Midwest, so it just... The timing and the travel, my travel this year, you know, wasn't going to work out. So I love Jared. I love uh, that whole deal. I wish it could go. Just couldn't make good. it happen this year. People. Awesome. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right, brother. Uh, I'm going to stop the recorder. You have a good one.
You too. This has been fun. That was awesome. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.